you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bare Naked Money with Colin and Josh. Today, it's a bit of a somber episode. We have some discussion on current events, which are all kinds of brutal for humankind. The Ukrainian population, we're thinking about uh, them right now and thinking about everything that's going on in the world, which is not the way that we want to be talking about things. And uh, really, just in general, something that is bigger than finance right now is going on out there. But being the financial commentators that we are, we're here to acknowledge that the pain that people are feeling on a very human level and progressing with our discussion and, and what it means for the financial world. So we're thinking of everybody out there that's affected by this, but we have some financial stuff to, to talk about today, don't we, Colin? Yeah, we do. And again, it's, I'm always, I was, I'm afraid of coming off glib or we don't get it. Uh, when we're talking about these things, but yeah, there's all kinds of terrible things going on and we completely acknowledge that and feel for that. But our role in the world is to help people manage money and manage their finances. So there are financial implications to what's going on. So this podcast, notwithstanding the horrible things going on in the world is going to focus on decision-making around your finances in these times and hopefully give you some perspective and give you, give you a little bit of hope on that side of things. And we're here for you. Yeah. So let me just start with a, a bit of a recap with what we've seen. <laughs> if I can do this in, in a couple minutes, it's going to be pretty <laughs> incredible what we've seen financially. I can't wait for this, Josh. You have 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> So stock markets, stock markets have been what I've called a bit haywire right now. So on the morning of the actual incursion, for example, stocks started the day down about 3% and ended the day up about 3%. So if anybody thinks they can figure out the stock market thing on a short-term basis, give me a call because if, if you knew that the market was going to start down 3% and end up 3% the day that the invasion actually happened, that would be really good information for us to have. Us here, we don't think we can do that. No, but, and, and hey, listen, there's a job offer in it for you. If you think you can nail this stuff, we want to talk to you. Now, keep in mind, we will be skeptical, but uh, you should contact us. Yeah, that's right. So the stock market's been a little bit all over the place. And I think it's interesting because the anticipatory nature of markets, I think is rearing its head again, as it always does. The market is forward looking. We've said this multiple times. So when Putin started lining his troops up along the border, markets started getting a little bit skittish. They probably went down a little bit because they were worried about that. When Putin started talking about some of the stuff in the media, they probably started getting a little bit more skittish and markets went down a little bit more. So People knew that this was a risk and people knew that this could happen and investors knew that this could happen. And, and so markets positioned themselves for this risk ahead of time. And I think that's why you've seen a little bit of a flat response from stock markets in general. And when I say flat, it's been up one day, down one day, up one day, down one day. It hasn't moved that much since the actual invasion has taken place. 
but it's been up and down along the way. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. We often talk about how the market prices things in, but this is a really sketchy slope to get on because, again, you're trying to measure the global consensus or the consensus within the market as to everybody gets to vote with their with their dollars. And is the market accurately priced for what's going on? So I think part of what you're seeing is when things be it's priced for uncertainty. And if people get a bit more certain, then things can move in a direction. But as long as that uncertainty is overhanging things and people are changing their mind, it's difficult for the market to find direction in the short term. Yeah, that's right. So bonds, what have bonds done? Bonds have been up and down as well. But I think what's interesting and what's always a good reminder is high quality government bonds, those by developed countries like Canada, the US, Japan, some of the European countries, these bonds have gone up in value. They've gone up in price since this incursion actually happened. And that's because they are low risk ways to get a little bit of return on your money. And so whenever we tell people, whenever people ask, why do I hold bonds when they're paying one and a half percent interest or 2% interest, this is why, because when things go crazy, when things go haywire, people go to those safe investments. They go to those bonds more often than not. And that's why you've seen them go up in value over the last few weeks for sure. You know, and in, in, in our world where we're managing money on a discretionary basis, it gives us some dry powder. So if we identify something in the market as an opportunity, this that can be the source of money that, that we could make an allocation with. So it's not, again, to Josh's point, it's not remarkable or exciting the rate of return implied in those kind of investments. But when things get, that's when you start to see the value of having them in the portfolio. This is these are stormy seas and this is your ballast and it can play a role for sure. And to, to talk from a behavioral finance for a moment, again, if the market is dropping eight or 10% and your account's going down four or 5% because you have that bond component. Yeah. For many people that that's, there's a lot of value. There's value in saying, wow, I'm not doing nearly as bad as the overall world. So that's the role that that side of your portfolio can be playing for you right now. Yep. Now, moving on to commodities, because I think commodities have maybe been the most haywire. They've been going up pretty consistently since, since this invasion actually happened and all these sanctions have been imposed. So the commodities I'm talking about mostly, gold has gone up quite a bit. Gold often is seen as the hedge. It's sort of like, what happens if paper currency is no longer useful? I'll use my gold chips that I have which may or may not be the case, but that gold tends to be a bit of a safe haven, as we call it. Oil has been a big one. I'm sure you've seen it in the pumps. Oil's gone up quite substantially. It's going up by 5 10% a day in some cases. And the risk there is Russia exports about 11% of the world's oil supply. So that's a big deal. That's a big deal because it's affecting us here at home in terms of our actual, our day-to-day -day finances. Natural gas is another one. We may not have seen as much of a price impact here. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but certainly Russia is a massive exporter of natural gas to most of Europe, a lot of Europe anyway. And again, big implications for them over there because this is how they, they heat their houses or power their, their, their homes and, and their day-to-day. -day. So. Higher energy prices, for sure, are adding to some of the inflationary issues that we've had over the last little while. 
Yeah. And just to address some of our audience, I do know there's people out there who are gold buggish. Gold hasn't gone to $5,000 an ounce for those who maybe used to be a gold bug and lost track of it and go, Ooh, they just said gold's going up. Maybe it's doing what we thought it would do. So just to give you some context, you can go back to, let's steal my chart here. In 2011, gold was $1,859 an ounce. And today it's trading at $1,932 an ounce. So, you know, again, gold is indeed up in the most recent period. Josh is right as he often is. But again, to you people out there who were dusting off your old theories about gold and going, ooh, now I've been proven right, easy. Just take a breath. We're talking in the last, oh, last month, call it, there's been a little bit of movement in gold, but we haven't ascended to the levels that maybe some have foretold from the scrolls. Yeah. Commodities, they're going up. That doesn't mean they're a good investment. And actually with commodities, you want to be a little bit counter-cyclical with a lot of these things. Usually when they're doing really well, that's the time to sell them. And when they're in the doldrums, like they were, like oil was, for example, a couple of years ago, right around the, the start of the pandemic, that's when you want to buy them. You got to be very counter to everything that's going on with commodities to make money consistently in that game. And, and I would say it's, it's almost impossible to make money consistently with commodities just because they are so volatile, so unpredictable. And there's so many forces outside of your control that are driving those things outside of anyone's control. Yeah, just people, again, one of our recent webcasts, we had a client ask the question about people taking advantage and our oil companies artificially inflating the price of oil. It's a commodity. There's very little pricing power, except perhaps for oil. So you've got one large organization that's capable of, of moving world oil prices. And then you also have the, the different countries with their strategic reserves. There's a whole bunch of forces that are manipulating those prices for their own purposes. And by manipulating, I'm not necessarily meaning nefariously. But again, the individual companies don't have a whole lot of purchasing power. Trying to predict the mood of OPEC or what their long game is or what various countries may do with their strategic reserves from a geopolitical standpoint really make those, the oil for sure, a difficult thing to chart, graph, and or project with any kind of certainty that you can invest in. Yeah. And just to complete the circle here, some of the agricultural commodities like wheat going up quite a lot as well. And you see some of the metals, um, palladium, I think is, is the big one that people are talking about. I don't know what the hell I use palladium for, but I'm sure I use it somewhere. Probably <laughs> this microphone that I'm using right now, but Russia's a big exporter of palladium. So there's a, a number of disruptions right now, and some of it is likely trickling into your pocketbook in some way, shape or form. A lot of it is. Josh, I heard a truly terrifying outcome of the disruption of the agricultural exports from Ukraine. I don't know if you've been reading the same news feed, but somebody was saying that there's going to be a shortage of beer. So I'm really hoping that's not accurate because tongue firmly planted in cheek. Wow, that's terrible. It's a really good thing our partner Richard owns a brewery. That's all I can do. <laughs> we got something on the inside. So a little bit of the, the view from Russia, because... This is where I nerd out a little bit and I, I find that just the, purely the finance side of things is extremely interesting. The world has sanctioned Russia in a massive way and in a way that I wasn't aware that it even could in, in a lot of circumstances. So what's happening in Russia itself? Well, the stock market, I don't know how much it's down now, but we're talking about massive drawdowns in the stock market. Just to, for the record, 
there's almost 0% exposure from our clients to the Russian stock market directly. So that's not an issue for most of us here in North America. What a big issue for Russians, for sure. The ruble, the Russian currency, also getting devastated. It was down about 30% in one day earlier this week versus the US dollar. And, and what's interesting here is this devastation of the Russian currency is really imposed by foreign central banks. So all these foreign banks have basically said, we're going to freeze all of the Russian central bank and prevent them from getting access to them. So just a, a very high level explanation of what's happening here. Companies are leaving Russia in droves. People, citizens, if they can, they're leaving Russia in droves. They're taking their money out because they're very concerned about what's going to happen there economically. And anytime you start converting your Russian rubles into US dollars or something else, that's going to drive the price of the Russian ruble down, the value of the Russian ruble down. So that's what's happening. You're seeing a massive decrease in the value there. Now, most central banks, when this happens, they intervene in the market and they'll start selling some of their US dollars that they have at a US bank and buying Russian rubles to stabilize things. But because all of the Russian central bank's assets are frozen, not all of them, but about two thirds of them globally, we're talking about $400 billion that are frozen. They can't intervene in the market like they normally would. So their hands are tied. So it's one very interesting way for me where these sanctions are actually having a pretty profound effect on what's happening there in Russia. And, it, and I love when Josh geeks out and I, I like it better when I geek out and I go in a different direction than Josh goes, because let me drop some knowledge on you, Josh, because my mind went to, yeah, these things are all terrible. And in the current state, we're devastating the Russian economy, but Josh, do you know what the GDP of Russia is? I did hear that. I believe it's 11% of the world's total GDP. Is that right? I mostly, well, I don't know it in that terms, but I do know it in absolute terms. So the GDP for Russia is 1.483 trillion US dollars. I have a follow-up question, Josh. Do you know how big the, the Canadian GDP is in absolute terms? 2.1. 1.643 for 2020. Yeah. So walk around in that for a second. The Canadian economy on a GDP basis is actually larger than the Russian economy. Canada doesn't have as many tanks as Russia has. So, because my mind goes to, all right, they have all this financial pressure on them. I'm going, well, how big a deal is that? You know, how big of a country is it really from a, from a, no, how big is the monster we're attacking? Mm -hmm. Their economy, again, based on GDP, which is only one measure, and there's probably 18 different ways to measure it, is smaller than Canada and they've got significantly more people. I'm willing to go way out on the limb and say, yeah, this is very material to the quality of life for the people within Russia. And I don't know how they're going to be able to sustain what they're doing for any period of time. Yeah. But I've drifted into the world of, of conspiracy theories and asking questions that really don't have answers and lead you to think I'm drawing a conclusion when I'm not really drawing a conclusion. I'm Literally, I'm just asking a geeky question right now. Yeah. And that geeky question assumes that the person with the puppet strings there actually cares about the people of this country. Well, I heard a funny expression when it comes to Russia, because everybody always you know, talks about how low quality that their military is in many respects. And that's part of what's coming out of this war. But quantity has a quality all of its own. 
Yeah, so you're right. They don't necessarily care, air quotes, about the, their people. But if there's enough of them upset, then you know that can be the cause of change within the country. But no, I just I look at it because I'm, for my own purposes, just trying to gauge the sustainability of the current situation. And I, I really, because of the, what Josh talked about, I hadn't heard the figures to how many of their because the, the figure six hundred billion in reserves has been thrown around. I didn't hear that 400 billion of that's basically been frozen. So yeah, so that's ratcheting up the pressure quite a bit. And it, you know, they don't have a whole lot. That, again, they don't have as much as I thought they might with regards to even in perfect conditions, how, how big this economy is. Yeah, really interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And it's also all kinds of tragic for the Russian people because a lot of them, I don't think, want this either. And they're being put in pretty dire financial straits right now. So that's sad in its own. What we've done is, as we always do, try to put this into perspective. Again, purely from a financial uh, point of view, we can't really put the human aspect of things into perspective at all. But from a financial point of view, these types of events have occurred in the past. Big geopolitical conflicts have occurred in the past multiple times. Some of the research that I've been reading over the last couple of weeks has provided more than two dozen examples since World War II of these types of geopolitical events. What we see typically, not always, but typically is a short-term pullback in stock markets. So material, noticeable short-term effect, but it's usually pretty short-lived. And usually the recovery happens in not too long of a time frame after. And usually it's in, his, in, in hindsight anyway, can be seen as a buying opportunity. Yeah. And the other thing to remember, and again, we, because well, curiosity is part of it for sure. Wanting to make sure that we take a look to see if there's anything to glean from history. That's not necessarily complete because this isn't happening. And we have this event breaking out at a time when inflation is resurgent, interest rates are moving, GDP growth is going as Josh would say, gangbusters. Yeah. And congratulations for not using gangbusters in this podcast. No, this, this so is far. the Haywire podcast. The gangbusters oh, the Haywire podcast. <laughs> Josh and his word of the word of the day. But no, this, this event's not happening. And I think that it would be difficult to draw the conclusion that this event is going to completely wipe out the effect of an inflationary period and interest rate moves and GDP growth across the globe. I, I don't, I'm not in a position to say that I think this is going to overshadow all of that. So these things are all going to work together in concert to provide the outcome that happens. And this is where we're really bad commentators. Good commentators are going to pick a theme and beat the snot out of it and say, obviously the market's going to because of Russia. We're not those people. Like we're going to say, yeah, these other things are playing out and there are going to be forces that play. There's reasons to be optimistic because again, the car lots are still empty. People can't still buy cars. There's all the supply chain is still fixed. So there's lots of economic activity that's pending, waiting for things to, to get better. And that's going to happen sometime. But it also goes back and completely reinforces our, I don't know if it's big enough to call it tagline, but the way we talk about things, keep your short-term money, short-term, keep your long-term money, long-term. This is another living, breathing example of why we come at it that way. Because again, we're, we're going to, we're going to talk about it here for you know, some more time and it's entertainment value only, 
But at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to draw a conclusion to tell you, obviously, this is what we're going to do in the next 30, 60, 90 days. And here's the five things to protect your portfolio. It doesn't lend itself to that. That's not the real world. It's exciting, but it's not the real world. Yeah. And just in case people are thinking right now, that's great. You looked at past history, but none of those events is as significant as this one. Let me give you a reminder of some of these events. (laughs) Pearl Harbor, Cuban Missile Crisis, Gulf War, Iraq War, Crimea, which was basically the same thing on a maybe a lesser scale that happened just uh, eight years ago or so. So I'd say a lot of these events that we have looked at are greater in magnitude than this event, not to try to put the relative suffering on any type of terms, but certainly implications for global geopolitics. Uh, some of these events in the past have, have been more, more significant for sure. So again, not, not to say that every situation is a positive one for markets within six months or anything like that. There have been some negative periods of time. It's definitely a struggle to get through, but on the whole, on average, generally markets have gone up without too much time to waste in between. And one of the other things that gets more powerful is as the world unites in one direction, you go back to 2008 with the monetary crisis when the G20 got together and everybody nodded up and down and said, yeah, we all have to do the same thing. Russia's kind of uniting the world a little bit. I don't know if you've caught it, Josh, but Switzerland picked a side. Oh, no. <laughs> how, how, far, how far in the weeds do you have to go for Switzerland to pick a side? Germany, you know, reversed decades of policy doubled their defense spending and exported arms. The meeting took like 28 minutes when a country the size of Germany acts that quickly and decisively. There's an argument to be made here that the globe is going to, globalization is coming back because we're pulling together pretty hard against this aggression that Russia started. So yeah, I still, the switch of the things that blows me away. Switzerland picking a side is you're, you're, grandma who has never said a bad thing to anybody when she finally blows up and yells at you you're like oh shit i really screwed up this time that's when you know that's when you know you did something wrong so all this comes back to i think the big question colin is is what should you do if you're an investor right now what should you do again find something fun to watch your head is what you consume so if you consume this like eight hours a day, this is what's going to be your whole world. Set yourself some limits. Understand that feed yourself good things. Like don't get wrapped up in it. Again, we're not talking about, I don't want to re-trigger people, but if I point at other things that people have been caught up in the last little while, maybe I can convince them that this isn't the thing to, to obsess about. We're not talking about coronavirus right now, are we, Josh? Care. We're not talking. We're, we're not talking about climate change, forest fires, floods. There's lots of things that have gone away. If, if you're just looking at the news, there's a lot of things that have gone away right now. So keep it in its place. If you're a client of ours, we got this. We meet once a week to worry about it. If you're not, I think the number's somewhere at the bottom of the screen. But if your short-term money is short-term, like the money you need to spend in the next couple of years is where you need it to be, and it's not exposed to this craziness, your longer-term money is longer-term to protect against inflation and the other things that we've talked about. You've done what you need to do. If you know if that math still holds, making an emotional reaction to the environment right now isn't going to help. Sorry, it's not likely to help. You don't any action you take right now. There's it's a, almost a random number generator as to what the outcome is going to be, whether you get it further ahead or further behind because of it. Yeah, and. 
We don't like investing randomly. It's not worked out for you over one term, most likely. And I think the thing that's hard to do is, is to accept that the current situation is very uncertain and to almost embrace that uncertainty. And that this is always the case when you're investing, the future is always uncertain. It seems more uncertain right now than it has in a while, but to some extent you have to accept and, and embrace that. And you said on the webinar last week, Colin, unless you're in Putin's head, you do not know what's <laughs> going to happen next. And I would take that to an extension of two or three, because one, you don't know what he's going to do. Two, you don't know how the rest of the world is going to respond. And three, you don't know what's already priced into the market. You don't know how the market is viewing things and how the market is going to respond to anything that happens. So you have to get so many things that are unknowable to try to, to time this thing properly if you're really being tactical and active with your portfolio right now. Just taking a step back, taking a longer term view, taking a breath, being a little bit more patient, say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen next week or next month. And that's okay because over the long term, things are going to be better. That's what you need to be thinking about right now. And again, I always fall back on the idea the global economy has absorbed this and worse in human history. The global economy is going to find a way forward. And if you're betting that the global economy is going to find a way forward. The stock market tends to follow the global economy over time. That's reliable, but look how vague that is. And, and Josh's point, and I was going to jump in if you hadn't said it, not only do we not know these things, that what's in people's heads and what decision made, it's unknowable. Just accept the fact it's unknowable. And if somebody tells you with certainty that we've done this, blah, 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 and this is what's going to happen, that's entertainment. Take it for entertainment's purpose and treat it like a science fiction book where they're creating a plot of a story, but there's no way to make shorter term decisions on this accurately, effectively, and to your advantage. If you happen to make a short term call that works out, that's almost worse because now you're going to think you can do it again and next time you're a bit bigger. I think we're going to, we're going to stay with our short term money, short term, long term money, long term, because we can reliably say that, put that out there. And, you know, no, that's the best chance of getting to a better place. Right. So just to wrap up everyone, thanks for listening. Again, we're thinking about everybody out there that's in some way directly or indirectly personally affected by this. If there's anything that we can do to make your financial lives a little bit better at this point, give us a call and keep well, everyone. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. We've noticed something. It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com. 
but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us, it'll be okay, you'll see. Content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.